Hi everyone, Editor Becca here. I just wanted to pop in with a quick content warning for residential schools and youth self-harm and suicide. Um, with that being said, here is our very exciting episode with Blake Dejarlais. All right, welcome back everyone. For those of you watching the video, I am not wearing a D.A.R.E. shirt. Please don't think that of me. It says care about drug users. <laughs> this is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca, I use she, they pronouns, and I am here with Kelsey. Hello, my name is Kelsey. I also use she, they pronouns. I should not be allowed to do these episodes when there's what I consider local celebrities because I honestly forget how to speak. So bear with me. <laughs> Speaking of local celebrities, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, Tansei friends, like there's Lady Sagasan, Pak Chansei, Miss Kuchiwa Skagan, Otsenia, Tememvesoak, Pitagosania. I'm Blake Desjole. I go by he, him pronouns, and I'm a proud Edmontonian from Beaver Hill House and originally from the Fishing Lake Metis settlement. And um, my ancestors have been on these lands for thousands of years, and it's an immense blessing to be able to share what wisdom we've been able to survive and be resilient through today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And is there um, anything like, what do you want people to know about you? Oh, to know about me. Well, that's a tough one. I really hope that if anyone knows any little one part about me, it's probably that I am someone who is here. There's a whole community around me that is really important to me. And I think that without them, I'd probably be, I'd probably be dead to be really honest. You know, it, it would be, it, it was, it's a matter of survival for a lot of folks. And I was certainly in those situations many times, but I really think about them and my journey and what they've sacrificed, given up. And it's been pretty immense. So I, I, I really want folks to, to think about their own communities when they think of my community and ways that communities really can do so much more than we think it can. So underrated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, kind of to start off, I just guess I would ask, what does being two-spirit mean to you personally? I think it means to me, it's a traditional movement in the sense that it's a reclamation of Indigenous identity, but particular to our identity are our sexuality and our genders, which are often erased and diverted away from culture. And it's been a it was it's been a tough a tough experience for many Indigenous people, I think, in the Two Spirit movement. Um, I think for the better part because the larger LGBTQ movement has largely excluded Two Spirit people for a very long time. And so what I see today, you know, in the 21st century, Two Spirit people, I think we can bring so much to the table in terms of how we understand tradition, uh, gender roles, land reconciliation, land back to the issues of reconciliation and gender diversity and sexual diversity, because the fight for authenticity, the fight to reclaim one's own identity, even land are the same for me. They're identical. And so being a two-spirit person is like having a superpower in some way, because you, I just, you have so much access to the spiritual traditions of the Cree and Métis people that have otherwise been shunted away from the, our culture and really broke us down into this 
dichotomy that so many members of the LGBTQ community still undergo that pressure today. European society, Euro-Canadian society still has an immense pressure. Um, my community, of course, we are still unraveling this. You know, my reserve I grew up in was the Fishing Lake Métis Settlement, and we're still un trying to untangle what mess we've been put into. And part of that is trying to reclaim and even just have our true spirit people survive in this really violent system. And so being true spirit to me is being whole, it's being myself, and it's not being compartments of myself, you know, because I am a, I was raised in a traditional way uh, with the medicines and the teachings, but I also have a, a unique role and a unique job here as a two-spirit person on this place that we're in. And it's different for every culture, um, but it's, it's part of the reclamation of identity uh, beyond culture, but also sexual liberation, uh, gender liberation. And it feels good to be a, the word we would use for two-spirit is actually Testawinuak, which is the name of a, a city ward that we ended up renaming, which cool. is cool. And so that means in between people. That's yeah, that's really awesome. Um, we had Cheyenne from the Edmonton Two Spirit Society on last week. Oh, cool! Um, so that episode just went yeah. up today, so I'm I'm loving getting the different answers yes. from people. <laughs> Cheyenne's amazing. Cheyenne's one of the best advocates I say for the Two Spirit community. Really knows yeah. their stuff. Yeah, really cool. That yeah, if you haven't, if your listeners are listening, go back and watch, watch that. <laughs> watch that too. Yes, Absolutely. it was. It's like an approaching pride month, like we had, like, this is the time to have these conversations, right? Like everybody talks about rainbow capitalism and the queer community. But when we talk about the queer community, we're talking about like the gay, the lesbian, the bisexual community. Like a lot of times the two spirit community isn't added in there. So like, this is the time no, we never. want this yeah. to happen. We want to have these conversations now. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Cause it's still a protest for us. Absolutely. Way. You know, it was even not that long ago. I remember one of the pride events on White Ave, a bunch of us, they had to interrupt it at one point. They were really, they were really angry about it. Um, but it was like for a movement of inclusion, Absolutely. you know, to be included in something. Absolutely. Um, and now we're seeing that, you know, I think at least I'm feeling that. Absolutely. And speaking of like inclusion yeah. and everything, um, for our international listeners, Blake is a member of parliament um, and the first two-spirit member of parliament. <laughs> And I was just wondering if you could speak to kind of tokenization a little bit. Like, I don't want to diminish what you've done, which is amazing, but I hear you being tokenized in conversations, uh, right? To kind of deny certain isms and things like that. So I was wondering if you'd like to speak to that. Well, it's like a terrible tradition in power politic, but it's also a terrible kind of symptom of, I think, what has been a really earnest and just kind of way of making inclusion for our community happen. But whenever there's wins, you know, whether it's for the 2SLGBTQI community, it's always prefaced with, as, as Kelsey mentioned, you know, this ulterior motive, you know, sometimes inclusion is just not enough for society to embrace others. They need to benefit explicitly, whether by power or by capital, and it's often exploited. And so identities, uh, identities and bodies have been exploited in North America since, since, since colonization began. And so this is a way, this is a kind of form of, of colonization to, to divide someone from the bigger picture and then to really platform one singular view of what is a very diverse and 
large majesty, I guess you can say, of experience, knowledge, and beauty beyond comprehension of the individual. And we deny that truth when tokenism becomes the alternative for policy development, for like consultation with the community. Tokenism has the power to diminish by a huge way uh, and give oneself social license to do things that would otherwise be unacceptable to the community. And this is something that is actually a kind of violence that exists. And so tokenism at the end of the day is a kind of vi extractive violence that has the ability to diminish the community's overall uh, safety, overall legitimacy, overall authenticity. And it, it, it can break communities. You know, we've seen it happen, you know, um, even in particular within, within the indigenous movement today as well with pretendians, um, you know, being platformed and, you know, just taking away from so much of the diversity. And that's similar to, I think, especially two-spirit tokenism, you know, because there's, a, there's such a disconnect from how European and Euro-Canadian society has organized the other, you know, it's organized differently. And it's organized it essentially by pushing it away from the norm, the normative culture and dominant culture. And in order to recover from that position, it takes individuals from the other and includes them, but it doesn't take the entire community. It only, it still accepts those who uphold in large part the society that they're enjoying. And I think that that's the experience of tokenism for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a really an good amazing answer. way to just yeah, like that's like the best way to describe it. I'm like kind of mulling on that because that's that's like such a great way. Like you can even see that, right? Like the kind of like isolating the whole community, but picking a couple people that fit a little bit better and putting them over to the normal side and then saying that you're being inclusive. That's so interesting. What mm -hmm. and I was thinking about the trans, I often think about the trans community. Like the trans community just takes so much disproportionate violence in our community, like our overall 2SLGBTQI community than any other mm -hmm. group. Um, and it's just so frustrating because, the, because trans bodies are just seen as such a threat, such a threat. And I use that word because the people who would otherwise reject our trans community are people who are scared of losing power. They're scared of losing their own frame of the world. And that is such a selfish way to look at the world as if it's ours, it's mine, uh, when it's really all of ours and there has to be a space for it. But there's been such a diminishment of our trans community that I think, yeah, there's so much work that has to be done. Like we're not even at square one. Yeah, I, you keep leading into my next questions really beautifully and I'm loving it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Excellent. It's like it was planned. Um, <laughs> so... It, it wasn't, wasn't planned. Yeah, it wasn't. We, we always have a very, <laughs> yeah. very loose plan at the most. Um, but we've talked kind of Kelsey and I before on here about some of the bills happening down south with uh, trans people, especially trans kids, um, and how we oh, see brutal. them kind of having impacts up north here. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak to kind of how they're, um, you know, raising their head in the house and the effect that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what we're experiencing right now is this kind of great recoil to what has been, I think, a really good transition for, or not even good transition, but a fairer transition of power and sharing of power uh, with groups that would otherwise not have enjoyed it. I think since the civil rights movement in the United States, 
we've seen this explosion of, of, um, of inclusion in the United States, uh, particularly to the black community. And that was really led by trans black women. And so it's, it's just so ironic and terrible, terribly ironic to think that it was black trans women that, you know, broke these things down so that others would enjoy them, but never find that benefit in their own lifetime. You know, it reminds me of an old indigenous saying where an elder would plant a seed so that their nation would enjoy the shade, knowing that that old man would never enjoy the shade. The black trans community in the United States did so much work in the 60s and 70s to really break down the overt violence that was being experienced. But I think from that, what we're learning is there's an equal response from those who are fearful of that. And they've organized. And it hasn't, they've always been in a loose organization, whether it was you know, the KKK, which is an overt white supremacist organization in the United States, to today, you know, we see Proud Boys, we see this transition of white supremacy, which also includes white heteronormativity. And they're lumped, they're all the same. White supremacy and white heteronormativity are identical in terms of their, uh, their overt violence and uh, rate of force. And that, I think, is something that the United States is experiencing and something Canadians are experiencing. And it's something that has to be rejected, but it also has to be rejected in a very, I think, in a way that one allows for the protection, safety, and dignity of those who are right now experiencing violence. I think that has to be the, the priority is their safety. You know, I don't care if some of these people should go to prison anyway, but we have to find some way to stop the violence immediately by, by use of making sure that we one list these organizations as terrorist organizations, because that's what they are. They're terrorist organizations limiting the freedoms and liberty of people in our community. And there are, they, have the, uh, they have the terrible social power of redefining or even building and galvanizing folks who would may not have otherwise been extreme or motivated to extremism to look at that, our community as a scapegoat. And it's a slippery slope because if we start doing that, uh, we get to a point where fascism really is something that becomes an issue for us, which is much harder to deal with than, than what we have right now. So I think what's happening to trans people, particularly trans youth in the United States, is something that pol politicians in the United States and even Canada have to play an active role in. And I think we should have economic penalties for countries that don't uphold basic human rights for the 2SLGBTQI community. And I think of some of the sanctions that we're, we're availing against Russia in this Ukrainian war, that's violence that they're experiencing against their population. However, when the United States does that to trans kids, we don't think of it that way, you know, I think is ridiculous. So I think there needs to be real penalties, financial penalties, sanctions for states and for countries that don't uphold basic human rights, uh, which include protection for trans youth. And I think the United States uh, and the president and the Congress and the Senate uh, should use their power and their force to, to condemn these actions, but also to create a national action plan that's led by uh, trans youth to ensure that this never happens again. Because, you know, people know, like, if we don't put this down now, it's going to continue to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to get worse. And next thing you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be people dying, you know, and that's what our communities experienced in the past. And we just can't go back there. We can't go back to the point where our young people are taking their lives. This is so important because we, 
talk all the time about how this impacts our youth and we like these laws happen and these things happen in the states and we can see it on the faces of the kids when they come to group and we like that's questioned often you know by adults they're like oh well like you know it's it's in the states like blah 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 but it's nice to have this conversation as members of this community that are adults you know and we can say like no, actually, it's not the youth being dramatic. Like, this is scary. And there's real reasons why this is scary for this community. Absolutely. Totally. And now is the time for us to use our power. Mm-hmm. Like, our communities gain power. And I, I always think we have to demonstrate that because, you know, we are a powerful group. And we've, first of all, we've demonstrated we're powerful. We've survived as long as we have with this really oppressive system. Um, but now we got to show folks or we're not scared to use it that if our community is harmed, there will be consequences and we'll use economic, social power to do that. Um, I think it's, it's totally fair for, the, for our community to organize that way and to demand space because we're done, well, at least I'm done. And I think many folks are just done yeah. waiting for that space. And this is our space. We pay taxes. This is our country. And people are either going to have to get on board or we find a way to, um, we find a way to, we find a way to dis- re- resolve this dispute in other means. But I do think that we have the tools socially and financially to, to make justice Absolutely. happen. Yeah. And I feel historically, when you see these big pushbacks, especially with legislation, it's usually in response to power that's been gained, right? Like the most violent crackdowns are usually when people are getting very, very close. Um, right. So yep. I don't know. I think not a silver lining, but I think that is reason to hope. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, just your other point about, you know, when, when someone like Putin invades Ukraine off on the other side of the world, right. We're, oh, this is terrible. How can we do this? He's a, he's a monster. Right. And then it happens in our own communities and with our neighbors and suddenly it's right. Cause we're the civilized world. Right. So suddenly it's, you know, (laughs) evil. Yes. Like, oh, I didn't see that, that that trans kid just get bullied to the point where they yeah. take their life. You know, that's murder. That's first degree murder. They planned it. It was, it was embedded in how they, they were thinking and it, it's, it's murder. And there has to be capital punishment, not capital punishment. So there has to be um, criminal yeah. punishment for that because it's criminal. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if like I went, if I went to someone's house and started bullying an old woman for, because I didn't like that she was old, you know, that's just someone who, that's what she is. It's part of her. She's an old person. And if I just bullied her to the point where I removed her from the community, I'd go to jail, you know, that's yeah. elder abuse. But when it comes to abuse for our youth in particular, that are in particular trans people of color youth, there's just no enforcement. I don't think there's even been one case of a hate documented crime uh, in Canada related to the abuse that young people face yeah well we we like to tote that we have hate speech laws but they are so incredibly nebulous and hard to enforce and like that's by design really exactly it's yeah exactly there needs to be like a it needs to i don't know what it was but maybe something that's just something that you know the community could talk about more is like what kind of structure can we create to guarantee safety for young people you know, is it like a, I heard once in indigenous two-spirit circles, this idea of a matriarch council uh, that can bring in particularly uh, men who are violent against trans children, bringing them into the circle and saying, you know, we're your mothers and we're your grandmothers and you're hurting the community. 
it's like a form of restorative justice that uh, we use for, in other settings, but I think it could be expanded to this. Absolutely. Like, and that, that, that's the important thing is there is no reason that this needs to continue. We have all of the tools to stop it right where it is. Stop it today. You exactly. know? So it, that's what, if nothing else, that's what we want people to kind of ask is like, what are you doing to stop it? You know, like what kind of role are you playing in when you see this? And that includes in schools and stuff. Cause the amount of bullying that goes on towards the kiddos in the schools, like that's not okay. That should be yeah. dealt with. We talk to therapists sometimes that are like, oh, I'm worried about, you know, counseling this amazing client that I have that's trans because I'm worried that if I get the pronouns wrong, the parents aren't going to let them seek counseling anymore. Well, that's not like, that's abuse, right? Like that's neglect. Exactly. Like kids yeah. have a right to mental health support. How so, terrible response. Like, and that's know? the thing. Like these things are still active conversations in services and with service providers. And yeah, these are, these are the places that we need to use our privilege and use our voice and say, you know, if you don't yeah. allow your kid access to counseling because they have asked me to identify them by a certain way and you don't like that, then I'm going to be calling somebody like, yeah. you know, and it, and, it, and it directly like points out the fact that we have to be careful with who we entrust our institutions yeah. to, you know, because even teachers, uh, you know, we know from our own parents, you know, don't have the tools to navigate this um, oftentimes, but they shouldn't be allowed to use that ignorance as a defense for not changing exactly you know that is not appropriate um and we have to i'd say they either need to undergo uh a process of learning you know even there's so many parallels to the reconciliation movement in so many ways because there has to be so much unlearning you know that has to be done too that there needs to be like a setting for that you know for how do we put all the teachers of a school into one room and say you have to look at this unlearning process as a legitimate process for our school safety plan, because it's the difference between life and death for some of these young people, because it truly is. And it's that level of seriousness. Like the community, like the communities have to take it as a, it's probably one of the top level, top concerns of any institution today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we hear people, you know, saying, how do I know that this kid isn't just trying to be like their, you know, lesbian big sister or like, are they just trying to be like their friends? And I would always say, you know, I'd prefer to take the road of affirming the child than questioning it, even if they are just trying to be like their sibling, because affirming them will do so yeah. much less harm than not supporting them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally, I had an experience like that. My niece, she's, she's seven and she came to me and said, you know, uncle Blake, you know, I think I am, uh, I think I'm too spirit. You know, I think I could, I think I'm a two-spirit person. You know, I want to participate in these roles. And I was just like blown away by the whole interaction, you know, how proud she was and how strong actually a young child can be. You know, when I think about how this struggle has hurt so many people I know who are older, you know, much older two-spirit people I've learned from talk about their challenges, especially in youth, and to see it come kind of full circle because only because of the work of the community being who they are, you know, allows for that kind of liberty for young people. Um, I'm just so scared that someone's going to try to like beat it out of her. Um, just makes me sad to think about that, but it also reinforces the work we have to do. Absolutely. And that representation goes so far for those kids, right? Like that's, 
Like oh, yeah. that represent like seeing queer people, seeing members of parliament that are two spirit. I am sure your niece is like, wow, he's just the coolest, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah. and that doesn't like, that doesn't mean that she's not two spirit, you know? Who knows? Maybe she'll grow up. Maybe she'll be two spirit. Maybe she won't be. Exactly. So you're going to figure that out for herself. But the worst thing you could say Absolutely. is no. The worst thing you could say is no to a child, like shut them down completely, make it look, make it feel like they're unsafe to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be looking at identity as, yeah, as, as Becca said, you know, an af- we need to have an affirmation attitude when it comes to how young people explore their identity. Totally. Yeah, because I truly think that should be a part of growing up is figuring out, you know, we figure out what we like, what we don't like, and that should extend to your gender and your sexuality, right? It's a part of figuring out who you are as a human being. And I think that we should nurture that. Totally. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. And I'm going to try to segue this. It wasn't as perfect a setup as the last couple, but... But kind of speaking of ages and stuff, you are, you know, for a politician, you are very young. We were talking about this before you hopped on that you are right in between mine and Kelsey's ages. Um, and that's not something you see very much. And so I guess what is it like being a young politician, like a sub 31, um, surrounded by all these older, like, you know, mostly cis white people. I'd say there's definitely challenges and I've definitely experienced a violence in this institution in parliament. You know, there's, they just don't accept who you are. They, they, there's ageism to the extreme, like ageism in our institution, not just our institution, parliament, but so many institutions in Canada are ageist. They think that you need some level of time on this planet in order to do something, you know, you can Mm do. Um, And oftentimes young people are actually better suited for particular roles than others. And I think of today, especially our parliament, if we're, our parliament is a place where we contemplate our future and the people who have, who aren't even going to be in that future are sitting around the table. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, like, why is, why is this guy here? Who is 78 talking about how bad, how good the oil and gas sector is and how it's the only way to move forward. How is that person allowed to sit in here and not someone who's 12 years old who will actually have to deal with the yeah. climate crisis. They're totally disproportionate in terms of their, what experience is valuable here. I think experience to be had in this case is far more valuable in, this discuss- in that discussion that experience had. And so this was confirmed by the environmental commissioner. I even asked him, I straight up asked the commissioner because uh, I just got so fed up with this idea that people were like, oh, you're too young, Blake. And I asked the commissioner, I said, what can Canada do to make sure our climate policies are actually achievable? And his answer is one answer was, engage young people, bring them into the setting, elect young people because they see the urgency because it's them who are at Mm -hmm. risk. But many of the people who are making the decision are not at risk. The risk to them is zero Mm -hmm. because they're not going to be here in 20 years when this really becomes a problem of starvation and global insecurity. They're not going to be around. And so it's a discussion of who has the most to, to benefit, but also who has the most to gain or lose. And it's young people. So I think of our institution today and I'm, I'm not scared to push back uh, in, in, in parliament on this anymore. You know, at the very beginning when I was getting my feet wet, it was, it was harder, you know, because people were like, oh, you're new here. You'll learn the ropes and all this stuff. But I feel like I, the ropes aren't that hard to learn because I think parliament is also a setting that it's kind of been built for like cis old white men. And what the one thing cis old white men like to do is sit around and not have to go to their community. 
And so it's kind of built in a way where it kind of keeps you away from your community rather than being in the community. And I found that to be a challenge, a unique challenge, uh, because it's like the opposite of how I want to interact with people. But um, I'd say it's been a, a process of having to experience that violence, take a step back and say, hey, I'm not going to accept this. You know, I'm not going to accept this, the premise of your argument about experience being required because you actually have too much experience in some ways where it's disproportionately impacting your ability to make good decisions for young people. 100%. And so the argument could be just the same. Yeah. I mean, we saw the same thing here in Alberta with Thomas Dang, right? And let's not forget, he's yeah. also a man of color, um, which kind of doubles down things, but people saying, you know, his greatest achievement is a high school diploma, right? And all these belittling comments because he's so young, but I mean, we need more of that. We need people with this energy and who have a stake and like, who aren't so entrenched, entrenched in the system that they can't see a way out or a way to change, right? Oh, totally. And one of the best things I was ever told, um, it was actually by some of the, my Muslim friends here in our community. They said the best thing that a new and young politician offers our system in Canada, like offers our country, is the fact that they have no old friends. Absolutely. And that's true. We have no, we have, I have no old friends to, you know, kick money back to. <laughs> You know, so I'm in the business of making new friends and trying to figure out who make community partnerships, um, which I think is also an exciting part for the community, especially people in our community who've been historically left out. And in Alberta, that could be not more obvious than essentially because Alberta is really catered to for a long time, only older white men, cis white men, only for the better part of our major history. And so, like, I think it's a really cool opportunity for us. And you never know. I might not be here a long time, but I'm definitely going to be here for a good time. And I'm going to use that time to make sure they don't forget that we were here. Amazing. Yeah. And kind of on that note, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or like that you didn't get a chance that you really want to touch on? Well, I always thought I have this project in mind of it's a social, con- a social project of, you know, how can the LGBTQ community support the 2S community? Uh, right now, especially in light of the residential schools and the, the children that are being found. A, a unique role in my community for Two-Spirit folks is to help families who are grieving. And it's a traditional role that stems back probably about 2,000 years, I'd say, um, when there was a great war and the Two-Spirit folks had to take care of a whole community for a period of time. But it re- it's about that kind of story. And when a community goes through this great loss, like we're experiencing right now, it's a great, it's a substantial loss. Like we're, it's thousands and thousands of children. And we just, we just witnessed and recognized the one year anniversary of when we began this process uh, in Canloop. So we're living in a truly historic time and two-spirit people, I think, have a unique role to play here and making sure that the community is supported and that they're feeling good and ways that we can use Pride Month to uh, support uh, two-spirit people in recognizing the pain that the community is undergoing right now, but also the offering of support and strength for our two-spirit community, because they're likely doing work within indigenous communities to try to help with the, the grieving process. And I often feel, especially just my own self as a two-spirit person trying to help relieve grief in my indigenous community, that I'm just lucky I have a lot of support, but there are two-spirit people in many communities in Alberta right now, and even across Canada who are doing this labor and aren't like they just need some really basic things like to pay rent to 
get food while also doing this really important service. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to all of those two spirit folks who are doing that work in their community right now. and want them to know that they're doing, they're doing really good work and the communities here, we may not be seen because we're all so busy all the time, but they should reach out to people in the LGBTQ community as well, because there are allies, there are friends, there are relatives, and they're going to be there with us. And I think the community needs that right now more than ever is that level of solidarity. Uh, Cause yeah, it's, it's really tough. Yeah. And I mean, it's also indigenous history month next month as well, yeah. right? Not just pride. So I think, yeah, it's kind of a dual role there. Exactly. So I think, yeah, we could, we could do both. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Kelsey, do you want to ask Steph's question? Oh, my partner <laughs> is obsessed with your mustache. Okay, so, oh, yay. so my yeah. partner for being the lesbian that she is and like, She's a cisgender female. Um, I myself am non-binary. So her and I kind of like, I'm like, you can't ask people about their mustache every time you meet them. But she, if she could do anything in her life, it would be grow a mustache. So oh, she, <laughs> she can't, like, you, you know, the hormones just are there are ways. Um, <laughs> so yeah, her big question was, I guess, like, when did you know that this was going to be your signature look, your mustache? Look? I think it was, I was probably... I was, I think it was in maybe I was probably 20 years old and I remember yeah probably about 20 years old and I went to this powwow and there were two groups of people at this powwow there were the people who were visiting the powwow and people who were um from the community that was hosting the powwow and they got talking about um traditional looks and traditional like appearances mm-hmm. And we got talking about um, how Métis people in particular. And so the Cree have a really tough time growing facial hair. Uh, my, many of my cousins, it's, it's really tough. But for Métis people, they because we're also dark-skinned people, and oftentimes on the prairies, we were the only ones with mustaches, um, it became like a community signifier, a community way of knowing someone's Métis, identifying a Métis person in indigenous communities. And so, and better and to, to better inform the nations I was visiting uh, and to better inform my own family and relatives, you'll see that all of the, uh, all of the males in my family have mustaches and it goes back to the fur trade probably, but it's, it was in relation to this like reclamation for me of, of um, trying to show folks that, you know, there are, there's a, beauty in all hair as well, because there's this, you know, I was told, especially when I started applying for work, when I was young, that you have to shave, you know, you look, you just have to, you just got to shave your hair. You got to shave your whole, your whole facial hair off for some reason. And this was kind of influenced by the church in some part, uh, which is unfortunate, but um, yeah, when I got to the point where I could grow one, I said, Nope, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to have my mustache. Um, And so and it was also really nice for my grandmother because my grandfather also had a mustache. He passed away some time ago. And she, I think, found some, I think, I don't know what it was. She just found it to be nice. She liked it because it reminded her of my late grandfather. And so a lot of little things are in it, but I really love the mustache. <laughs> People always ask, Blake, you should shave it off. And I'm like, no, yeah. never. Oh, no, it's That's- awesome. 
That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, it's so funny when you ask like something that you think is such a simple question and it can like lead to like the story of family history. I'm like, that is like, I love that. That is so yeah. cool. Things you don't think, you know, mm-hmm. some people look at you and think what a great mustache. And then exactly. Plus my, par- my partner Graham would hate it if I shaved yeah. it off and he would just <laughs> don't do it. It would not go well, you know, cause it's, <laughs> It's like, it's tickly. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> but a lot of fun you can have with a mustache. <laughs> I would say that. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, this has been amazing. And I think it's about time we wrap up with some queer joy now that we're all laughing about mustaches and things. <laughs> yeah, no um, so my queer joy this week is we get to go into another school tonight and I am very excited to go and talk to these parents um, and just help them support their children so that's my I'm looking at you Kelsey oh geez um, <laughs> what's my queer joy oh well my queer joy is kind of similar but the, tonight our presentation at the school actually marks the start of our pride month festivities that run may 25th to june 25th so i am ready i love pride it's, month. it's about excited. to be go 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. for all of us yeah. I'm sure. kelsey's ready, I'm ready. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. do this exactly wonder woman um, pose and how about you blake what's something that's brought you joy this week what's my queer joy my queer joy is being back in edmonton because nice. i've been in Ottawa, because we have these really long sitting periods. And then we, we only get home for like one day in a week. And I usually spend it with my family or doing some kind of errands, like laundry and mm-hmm. stuff. But this week I get to be in Edmonton the whole nice. week. So we're meeting with like a bunch of cool people Amazing. and seeing a bunch of friends. And oh. yeah, so I, I'm really glad to be yeah, home. I saw you post about Wayback Burgers and I was like, that is a favorite of mine as well. <laughs> and it's back. I was, I've been going there forever and it kept saying closed, closed. And the last last time it said we're closing forever and I was like, what and then all of a sudden they changed their mind and they're like just kidding we're coming back and i was like oh it's happening so i was i think it's like their first or second day oh, okay oh you have to check you have to go it's, back yeah my like uber eats tells you how many times you've ordered from each restaurant and like it's disgusting how much i've ordered from <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only way back it's, it's a lot it's a lot it's a problem <laughs> <laughs> worth it though if that's the place if you're gonna go like all out on skip that's yeah, absolutely awesome well thank you so so much for joining us on this beautiful sunny day um just remember we the three of us we love all of you listening um you are important to us and special so be kind to yourself and others and we will see you next week bye love you friends <laughs>